I know it's early, but I have got a shot and a chaser for you. Here's the shot. You often get asked, look, the Republicans don't play it square. Why do you play it square? Yeah. Well, well, guess what? If we do the same thing they do, our democracy will literally be in jeopardy. Well, I mean, yeah. I'm not a joke. And I, I understand that argument, but also it's like you're playing Monopoly with somebody who, you know, won't pass go and won't follow any of the rules. And how do you ever make any progress if they're not following the rules? Well, you got to send even... them to jail, uh, you know. <laughs> there's that little box in there. Directly to jail? <laughs> go directly to jail. Ha, 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 ha. That's the president of the United States saying on national television that the only way to deal with Republicans is to throw them in jail. That's the shot. Here's the chaser. Yesterday, the FBI arrested a Republican candidate for governor in Michigan over misdemeanors that he allegedly committed on January 6th of last year. A serious rival to the incumbent governor was arrested during an election year over relatively minor crimes that he may or may not have committed more than a year ago. For some reason, the FBI did not see fit to arrest this guy for well over a year after the alleged incident took place. But then, the very week that Democrats are staging their January 6th show trial and circus, the FBI decides to arrest a prominent Republican office seeker for misdemeanors related to the topic of the hearings. What are the odds? Boy, oh boy, what a coincidence. With each passing day, our country seems more and more to resemble a banana republic. And for some strange reason, it's precisely the people who constantly preen about our sacred democracy who seem to be leading us faster and faster toward it. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from Phil Vetta, who says, what's the big deal? Brett Kavanaugh is safer today than he's been historically. <laughs> That's true. You're right. Brett Kavanaugh is as safe as the economy is strong right now. That's uh, that's, that's true. And given how weak the economy is, you're going to want to save money on your cell phone plan. That's why you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Podcast. I absolutely love Pure Talk. I love the service. I love my cool phone that I just got. I love how incredibly easy it was to get my Pure Talk service and phone. Verizon, ATT, T-Mobile, they are charging you a premium fee every month for data that you don't use. Stop paying for things that you do not use. Instead of paying $89 a month or more to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I have, I, I was skeptical. I was skeptical. I've all, I'm always skeptical of new cell phone plans. I know it's annoying to switch. And then I did it and it was super easy. They've got absolutely the best service out there. You're not going to, you're not going to lose on service. They got the best phones out there. You're not going to lose on phones. The only thing you're going to lose is the annoyance of paying way too much money to those cell phone companies. So right now go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Knowles podcast to save 50% off your first month. You can be switched over to Pure Talk in less than 10 minutes. I'm not joking. Promo code Knowles Podcast, Canada WLES Podcast, all one word at puretalk.com. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Come on, Jack. Come on, man. Well, I play by the rules, man. 
That's what I do. I don't, that, listen, if I didn't play by the rules, unlike those pesky Republicans, our democracy would fall apart. That's, that's the first thing Joe Biden says in the first half of his breath. And then what? In the second half, he says, and that's why I've got to jail my opponents for opposing me. <laughs> he used to be a little bit better with the messaging. Joe Biden, he used to be a little bit better with the BS. And uh, that has gone out the window. The appearance on Jimmy Kimmel was absolutely disastrous. The, the clip of it that's going around right now that probably went most viral was Joe Biden rambling about biracial television commercials. I'm serious. You turn on the TV, look at the ads. When's the last time you saw biracial couples on TV? When's the last time you saw the way, I mean, people are selling products. They do ads to sell products and they sell products when people, they appeal to people. This generation is going to change everything. We just got to make sure we don't give up. When was the last time that you saw a biracial? There are so many things wrong with this. Joe Biden has used this line a lot, but he got it backwards this time. The line that he usually uses to show the progress that America has made is that now you can't turn on a TV without seeing an interracial couple, which is true. There are a lot of, <laughs> it, is, it is sort of odd, actually, that interracial couples seem to be far more represented on television than in the United States at large. But, but that's what he's pointing to, except he got it backwards and he can't keep his words right anymore. And he blames it on a childhood stutter that he had when he was eight that disappeared for 70 years and then popped back up again. So he, he got it wrong and he said, you don't see biracial couples. Also, he doesn't know what the word biracial means. Biracial is like Halle Berry. If we were talking about biracial couples on TV, we would say that everyone on TV were Halle Berry hued and they were all, there was you know, a slightly, only slightly darker than I am. The word that he's looking for is interracial. So e the only reason I bring it up is not to make any point about his stupid observation on the TV. It's to point out even the lines that he is most practiced with, even the lines that he has used in his stump speeches for years now, even those get jumbled up in his mushy pudding head. Then uh, Joe Biden rambles so badly that, that Jimmy Kimmel actually has to cut him off and go to commercial. But here's the deal. One of the things is that it's very difficult now to have a, um, even with, with notable exceptions, even the really good reporters, they have to get the number of clicks on, on, the, on the nightly news. Mm -hmm. So instead of asking a question, anyway, it just, everything gets, gets sensationalized in ways that, but I'm convinced we can get through this. We have to get through it. And one of the things, look, I'm going to take a break, and then we'll talk a little bit more, I don't if you don't mind. You. I'm sorry. sorry. We have some of those commercials. I, I, I we have some biracial you. commercials we need to tell. We'll be back with President Biden. That was a pretty good save by Jimmy Kimmel, but it was so sad how he had to lean into it because he leaned into it the way that when, when you've really got to go to a meeting, when you've really got to get off the phone and you're speaking with an elderly relative, the way you, hey, hey, before, hold on, before you get into that story, great, great grandpa, we need, I just, we're going to take a little break, okay? And then, and then he makes the biracial joke, which was, which was pretty funny, but it's not funny enough to save the interview. What is Biden talking about? He's, you know, back in my day, Sonny, we didn't have all these clicky, clicky doodads and websites. We had the Pony Express and that's what, that's what we did, Jack. And we would go and you'd have to, you go to the Gutenberg Press to, if you wanted your news stories. Uh, but then, okay, hey, hold on. Uh, just one second there, Mr. President. We've got to go cut to commercial to end this misery. And then finally, the, the, probably the most important point worth mentioning in this disastrous interview 
was that Joe Biden is appearing on Jimmy Kimmel the night after a leftist assassin showed up to Brett Kavanaugh's house because he was upset about the court potentially overruling Roe versus Wade, which he only found out about because a leftist on the court leaked it. And he found Brett Kavanaugh's address only because a leftist group doxed Kavanaugh. And the night after that happens, Joe Biden shows up to this national talk show. Very few people watch it, but still a national show. And he says, if the court overrules Roe, by golly, you might get a revolution. It's clear that if, in fact, the decision comes down the way it does and these states impose the limitations they're talking about, it's going to cause a mini revolution. They're going to vote a lot of these folks out of office. A mini revolution. Now, Biden is a shrewd enough politician still that he know, he, he teases that, but then he pulls it back. And he says, they're by voting, it's going to be a revolution by voting. But, but Joe Biden does know the context here. And the, the context actually does matter here. He's showing up hours after a leftist assassin tries to murder a sitting Supreme Court justice over this issue specifically in his home, in his bed, where the justice's wife and daughters sleep. And then Biden, he should, instead, of, instead of going on the Kimmel show and condemning that, I don't think Biden knows about very much these days, but they certainly told him that someone tried to kill the justice. Instead of going on and saying, listen, we need to cool down the rhetoric. We need to restore the soul of the nation. We need to not be killing federal officials, certainly not judges, at least. No, instead of that, he says, hey, hey, you know that thing that the, the Kavanaugh almost got murdered for? Yeah. Well, I sure hope Kavanaugh changes his mind, <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> hey, listen, Jack, listen, Corn Pop, if he doesn't, we might get a mini revolution. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hey, come on there. Come on, man. Come on, man. Come on. Speaking of revolution, Joy Behar, over on The View, uh, just epitomized so much of the utterly ignorant, arrogant uh, views of her side, especially when they're talking about guns. She, she, the left is, is trying to grab guns. I think they know it's basically a lost cause, but she thinks she's identified the one way in which Republicans might turn against the Second Amendment. And that's if those black people get guns. Here's the thing, once black people get guns in this country, the gun laws will change, trust me. That's what happened with the Black Panther. Black people have guns. Trust me on that. Trust me, okay? Republicans are far more racist than they care about the Second Amendment. Now, this is obviously a very stupid statement from Joy Behar, but it's especially stupid because she's speaking to a black woman here on the panel, on The View, and just moments earlier, maybe I don't know, two minutes earlier, the black woman on the panel blew up Joy's theory. Can I just say this real quick as a gun owner? Yeah. There are people in this country that genuinely own guns. You catch that? <laughs> you catch that? Hi, I, a black woman, as a gun owner. And then she goes on and, and talks about how we don't need all of these guns. And she's trying to find this moderate position on it. But she just told Joy Behar, Yes, I own a gun. And then what does Joy Behar do? She says, oh, shut up, black lady. Hold on. You're getting in the way of my narrative. No, black people, they don't have guns. And once, and those Republicans hate black people. Shh, shh. I said, stop talking, black lady. I'm trying, stop telling me about your actual experience. I'm trying to express my views about your experience. And black people, yeah, I know, I know. There's a statistic that says one in four black Americans already own guns. Yeah, forget about that for a second. I'm trying to make a point about how racist you Republicans are. Now, when you want to protect yourself, not just your physical self, but your digital life, you got to check out ExpressVPN. 
Right now, go to expressvpn.com slash Knowles. You especially should, okay? Because I have a feeling that you, maybe you're looking at some things on the internet that won't, people around you, if they're looking at what you're seeing on the internet, they might not be so happy, okay? Some of those websites where you open up that incognito window and what do you, you go to websites you're not supposed to, like dailywire.com. You know what I'm talking about? If the ruling class finds out that you're going to that website, they're not going to like it very much. So don't leave your data out there for everyone to take from you. When you connect to an unencrypted network, you're at a cafe, a hotel, an airport, your online data are not secured. Any hacker on the same network can gain access to and steal your personal data. ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that they can't. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. It's great. Works on your phone, works on your tablet, works on your laptop, even works on your smart TV. I have it on all the devices that I use. Get an extra three months of ExpressVPN at expressvpn.com slash Knowles. That's expressvpn.com slash Knowles, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Knowles. Speaking of The View, there, there was another radical just showed up to The View, not one of those ladies, but the Joe Biden Education Secretary. The Joe Biden Education Secretary shows up on The View to address this question of how to protect schools. One of the, whatever you think about gun control, whatever you think about AR-15s, whatever you think about whatever, we should all be able to agree that if you want to protect schools, there are some basic measures that will help. Lock the doors. I think, is locking the doors ideological? Is that, is that a partisan battle now? Just lock most of the doors? Have an armed guard there. Is that having an armed guard to stop the bad guys? The, the, I guess the cops are ideological now. I guess they are partisan now. Really shouldn't be. Maybe let teachers who are law-abiding gun owners, maybe let them carry their guns. You notice that the shooters always attack gun-free zones. They always attack soft targets. So maybe... Harden up those targets a little bit, you won't get as much shooting. One of the ladies on The View asks Joe Biden's education secretary about this thought, and he doesn't like it. Some Republicans have proposed arming teachers to stop these shootings. My mother is a teacher. Um, in Ohio, the governor is preparing to sign a bill that would lower the training requirements for a teacher to carry a gun in the classroom from 700 hours to 24 hours. In your view, do you support teachers carrying guns in the classroom? Those are some of the stupidest proposals I've heard in all my time as an educator. So that's my answer to that. Listen, we need to make sure we're doing sensible legislation, making sure our, our schoolhouses are safe as much as possible. But to say that we're going to arm teachers to protect students, what happens when a teacher goes out on maternity leave? Are we going to give the substitute of the day a gun? What this shows, Sonny, is that some people are clueless when it comes to what's happening in our schools. Some people are, in fact, clueless. That's true. I, I think uh, Dr. Miguel Cardona here, the secretary groomer of education, wearing his little progress pride pin on his lapel, I think he might be the clueless one because he doesn't even understand the, the argument for arming teachers. He proved that at the end. He said at the top, this is a, a dumb idea. It's the stupidest idea I ever heard. Doesn't quite explain why. And then he, a little bit later, he gets to it. He says, what? What happens when you have a substitute teacher? You're going to give him a gun? That's the, the, the argument for arming teachers is not that you require every teacher to have a gun. 
the argument for arming teachers is that you have some teachers with guns. And, and by the way, you don't know necessarily which teachers have the guns. And so when an assailant or a would-be assailant comes into the school, pretty much everyone he sees potentially could be armed. And when that's the case, people tend to be a little bit more polite. People tend to be a little more cautious and reticent. If they go into a school and they know for a fact no one is armed, then they can run amok. They can do whatever they want. But you do, the point is not to have every single person they're packing, you know, arm the third graders too. The point is to just have some guns out there and you don't know who's got them and you could turn the corner to, to wreak havoc and then boom, there's the gym coach. Boom, there's the history teacher. And you just, you just don't know. That's what Joy Behar was proving up there when she made her stupid point about, about black gun ownership. All she's showing is that she truly has no idea what, how, one, what black people think about guns, and two, what conservatives think. She thinks that if conservatives knew that black people were getting legal guns, that they would turn on the Second Amendment. Many of you listening right now are conservatives. Many of you listening right now are black, too. Is that, is that how you feel? No, of course not. And, but I, I give her points for sincerity. I think she probably sincerely believes that, and she's just completely mistaken. Uh, Dr. Groomer here, Secretary Groomer, probably sincerely believes that the arguments that conservatives are advancing are, are for arming all of the teachers because he's got wind blowing in between his ears and can't process what we're actually saying. He probably just doesn't know, and he can chalk that up to ignorance and a lack of curiosity. But that is not the argument that we are making. Yet again, we see something that social scientists have shown again and again over the years, which is that conservatives understand the libs much, much better than the libs understand conservatives. By the way, the, the argument for arming schools, for putting guards at least at schools, was just proven correct yesterday. There was a man outside of an Alabama elementary school who was demonstrating aggressive behavior. He was walking around, he was yelling, he was trying to get into the school, it was unclear what was going on. And a school, this is just being reported by AL.com, a school resource officer on site responded, talked with the man, and called for backup. Then a second officer arrived, an altercation ensued, and the suspect was killed. He was fatally shot. Officials have not yet said if the man was armed. Doesn't necessarily matter if the man was armed. If the man was suggesting that he might be armed, he's trying to break into an elementary school. He's demonstrating very aggressive behavior. Two weeks after a mass killing at an elementary school, this is what's going to happen. Who knows what would have happened had that guard not been there? had there not been good guys with guns on the site. One officer suffered minor injuries. He was taken to the hospital. No kids were harmed. The kids may not, not even have known what was going on outside. But that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. What, you want, you want to have people with guns to protect people from bad people with guns? That was stupid. How stupid? Do you, how out of touch do you have to be with not, not just modern society, but with the basics of human nature and self-defense and incentives to make that kind of a comment. Speaking of dangers that students face, I get tips sometimes, and I encourage you to send me tips. To, you can do it through my personal website, michaeljnoles.com. I get tips of bad stuff that's going on in local communities that maybe is not getting national 
attention, but it's happening. And that's, we live our lives in local communities. We all pay attention to the national news, but much of the stuff that affects our real day-to-day lives and affects our kids and the way that we raise our kids and our whole families takes place at the local level. And it's not just New York and San Francisco and Chicago and LA that have gone bonkers. It's places right there in the middle of the country, right there in the heartland that are pushing some of this radicalism. On June 27th, I don't know what you're doing. You probably want to clear your calendars because the Davenport Public Library in Iowa, in Iowa of all places, is hosting a teen summer brunch called Drag Queens and Kings Wake Up. Let's do brunch, campy style. Okay, so this is for teens. I already think that is depraved and should not be legal and should not be tolerated in a civilized society. But then they say, what what are the ages that can come to this? 11 through 19. It says teens ages 11 through 19 can celebrate Pride Month by going to this drag brunch. When did 11-year-olds become teenagers? They're saying teenagers here because it seems marginally better than saying, hey, little kids, come and let us let uh, perverts jiggle for you dressed up in stiletto heels. And maybe you can join in too. It'll be kind of fun, won't it? They know that. So they say teens, you know, 11, like an 11-year-old. What do you mean an 11 year? Yeah, I'm just talking, you know, teenagers, like, you know, a 16 year old or a nine year old or a four year old. Hold on. That's not a, that's not what a teenager is. It's very easy to figure out what a teenager is. The word teen is right at the end of the age, 13, 14, 15. They can celebrate pride month and the art of being theatrical, extra and campy. After performances from a local drag queen and drag king, Miss Amber will give book talks while everyone enjoys donuts and other yummy snacks. Registration is required. Make sure you head on over there. This is going to be a wonderful, wonderful event. Do you want that in your communities in Iowa? Do you want that at the Davenport Public Library? Money is coming out of, if you're an Iowan, money is coming out of your taxpayer dollars to go and fund this sort of thing. Do you want to do that? If not, I would call your representative. I would call up that Davenport Public Library and put a stop to it. It's not just in Davenport. If you happen to be in Moline, Illinois, and you happen to be there on June 18th, and you happen to have kids that you want to uh, pervert and disorder, uh, you can bring them to the Youth Drag Workshop and Show. Boy, oh boy, isn't that going to be fun? It's going to be held at the Stony Creek Hotel in Moline, and uh, you can go and teach your kids how to do drag. Uh, This will be, uh, this is a project of Clock Incorporated. It's going to be a lot of fun. Do you like brunch and activities? Then you might be uh, interested in that. It's going to be so, so fun. So you go, you show up to the workshop, you have a great time, and you have little kids dance around. It's not just, it's not even just a performance. It's a workshop. You're teaching little kids, these youths, how to do drag. Learn from experienced drag performers in a relaxed, fun, and non-judgmental environment. I'm judging. (laughs) I, I don't know about you. I'm judging. I judge that this is wrong and should be illegal, and the people putting this on are perverts, and the parents who are taking their kids to it are abusing them. Maybe wittingly, maybe unwittingly. Either way, it's got to stop. If you don't like this, call your representatives. Moline, Illinois, taking place at the Stony Creek Hotel. Say you don't want this here. Whenever conservatives put on perfectly ordinary events where we say basic truths about our country or we have the audacity to, I don't know, defend George Washington or something, the lib activists call up and try to get the conferences shut down by calling the hotels, by calling their representatives. Here, you've got a bunch of pervs grooming little kids into weird sex stuff. 
surely we can call and say, you know, hotel, you're not getting my business anymore if you keep hosting this stuff. You know, congressman, you know, state senator, I'm not going to vote for you. I'm gonna, if you don't put a stop to this, put a stop. We have the right to say no to this creepy stuff. The libs are obsessed with transgenderism. It's just as simple as that. There's this Yale professor, Jason Stanley. He's a Yale professor of philosophy. I, I truly, I have a lot of trouble believing that this guy is earnest. I wonder if he's just a secret conservative troll who's putting on a grand piece of performance art. He, he writes about fascism coming to America and how you know evil the kind of modern conservatives are and the grave threats and he takes himself so, so seriously. Well, he just tweeted out, quote, I haven't been focused as much as I should have been on supporting trans rights in the last 12 months. I now realize that this is where the fight for global democracy is. There is no avoiding it. Now, if you just read that statement without any context at all, and especially if you saw his very self-serious photo here on social media, you would believe this were a, a, an Onion headline. Maybe not The Onion, because that's lib, but maybe a Babylon Bee headline or something. But if you're familiar with this guy's body of work, I guess, I guess you would have to conclude that he's being serious here. And so he's saying transgender rights is where the fight for global democracy is. There's no avoiding it. And so if he's being earnest, if he is being sincere, and I, I think the jury is still out on that, but let's just say that he is. He's making a statement that is completely incoherent. Democracy, at least according to the old definition that existed from, uh, I don't know, many centuries before Christ until five minutes ago, uh, all the way back to ancient Athens, this what, 7th century BC Athens, all the way to the present, democracy meant popular government, government where the people get to rule, get to do what they want. That was democracy until then. Now what we're saying is, Democracy hinges on a very small radical minority running roughshod over the desires of the vast majority. The vast majority of people do not support transgenderism. They don't believe in transgenderism. They don't believe that a man can secretly be a woman. And they certainly don't support drag shows throughout our country and perverts grooming kids. The vast majority of people oppose that. Not just right-wing Republicans, but moderates and centrists and liberals and Democrats. So what is he talking about? How could he say it's the fight for global democracy? Again, if he's being earnest, and it's hard for me to believe that someone who ostensibly has a high IQ and lots of fancy degrees is, could really say something this stupid. Although, fr frankly, I guess it's only an Ivy League professor who could say something this obviously stupid. He is saying that that, that, that is the greatest cause of democracy. Overruling the will of the majority, that's the greatest cause for democracy. The ruling class is really, really pushing this stuff. Frankly, I think because most people don't want it. I think the reason that the ruling class is so focused on pushing transgenderism is it's so obviously wrong. It's so contrary, not only to our view of morality and our traditions and our customs, but nature itself. It's so obviously contrary to just basic biology and the facts of reality that they think if I can overcome nature, if I can overcome reality and sex, I can overcome anything. The revolution will be total. It will be, in the words of Marx, the ruthless criticism of all that exists. It will be, in the words of the serpent in the garden talking to Eve, it will be 
we making ourselves gods. It, we, we shall be as God. You shall be as gods, which Whitaker Chambers said was the first political revolution. It's the, it's the beginning of communism. It started in the, in the Garden of Eden. So I think that's why they're pushing for it. Oh, 90 some odd percent of Americans don't want to trans the kids. All the more reason as to why we have to, because once we push past your ignorance, then we will destroy the false consciousness and remake the world however we want, according to the sheer tyranny of our will. That's why in San Francisco right now, the San Francisco mayor has decided to announce a drag laureate this year, a drag laureate. A, a, a laureate is someone who receives public honors. You think of the poet laureate. Tradition, you'd have a, a great writer who is showing you something about beauty and truth and human nature and holding a mirror up to yourself. And, you, and we crown this person the poet laureate because of their great contributions to the, specifically the life of letters, but the life of the arts and our own understanding of ourselves. Now, now we put that laurel crown on perverts jiggling for kids. <laughs> That's, I think the culture has fallen a little bit. Uh, the mayor, London Breed, has announced San Francisco's commitment to inclusivity and the arts are the foundation for who we are as a city. Drag artists have helped pave the way for LGBTQ rights and representation across our city, and we must invest in programs that continue their legacies. We must. We must. Oh, gosh, how could we survive if we don't spend taxpayer dollars promoting drag queens. Uh, we have to create opportunities for the next generation of drag performers to thrive. There it is. Again, there's the grooming. There's the cultivating this weirdness in kids. I want to thank the drag community. Man, everybody's got a community now, huh? <laughs> there is racial communities. There, there are ethnic communities, religious communities, and transvestite communities, okay? The Human Rights Commission and the public library for their work. And I look forward to crowning San Francisco's first ever drag laureate this fall. The drag laureate will receive $35,000 in an annual stipend. The funds will come from the San Francisco Public Library out of the two-year budget proposal put forward by the mayor. So they're taking money away from letting people read. They're taking money away from books and education and specifically allowing people who don't have a ton of money to read if you've got a ton of money, you can go buy the books. If you don't have a ton of money, you go to the library. They're taking that money away and giving it to a pervert to jiggle and dance and pretend that he's a woman in a, in a frankly offensive caricature of what a man thinks a woman is in his weird sexual fantasies. That's what they're doing now because our culture has become very, very dumb and very, very radical. And why is it at the library? Why is the library seem to be the epicenter of this drag queen story hour very often takes place at the public libraries? Well, the, the first argument was the library is a neutral place. It's a neutral place where all, everyone from society can come and it can be little kids and older people and it's neutral. And because of viewpoint neutrality and value neutrality, you have to let us do our drag shows here. It was a provocation. It was a test. And the real conservative said, uh, no, we don't. <laughs> no, transvestitism was illegal in America, in many, many cities, including San Francisco, for the 19th century into the 20th century. No, we don't need to tolerate this, and we certainly don't need to subsidize it. He said, yes, you do. This is viewpoint neutrality. You have to do it. And then what happens next? The, the squishes go along with it. They say, we love viewpoint neutrality. And then what happens next? It's not so neutral anymore. Now the city is actually taking money out of the library budget 
to give to a drag performer? How about the preacher laureate? How about the pastor laureate? How about the conservative philosopher laureate? No, there's no money for them, only for the drag queens, because there is no neutrality. Because every state is going to encourage some things and discourage other things. And it's going to have some view of what is sacred and some view of what is good. And right now, we've convinced ourselves, the libs have pushed this campaign and the squishes have fallen for it, that we're not allowed to say that good things are good. And we're not allowed to say that bad things are bad. But we must say that bad things are good. And we must say that good things are bad. And we damn well better pay for it too. That's the... the trap that conservatives have fallen into. Now, in our political life, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do? There's so much confusion. You got to go check out What is a Woman? Have you watched the movie yet? The movie is really, really terrific. Go to whatisawoman.com right now. Become a member. Watch the film today. We will be right back with my absolute favorite time of the week, the mailbag. Do not go anywhere. We'll be right back in a moment. The Voice Mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Knowles Podcast, K-N-W-L-E-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to save 50% off your first month. Let's get to the Voice Mailbag. Hello, Michael. From time to time, my mind wanders back to that latter scene in Austin Powers, where Dr. Evil says to him, we're not so different, you and I. Isn't it ironic that in the 90s, all the things that you stood for, free love, parties, drugs, are now considered to be evil? And he says, no, we were innocent, man. If we had known the consequences of our sexual liberation, we might have done things differently, but the spirit would have remained the same. It's freedom, baby, yeah. And I always wonder if that if that's really what the, the conservative backlash going on right now is all about. It's not about the content so much as the procedure. I know that's not what you like to think of, but it might be. That we are, in fact, the free love movement. We just understand now what, it, what freedom really means. So what do you think of this idea? This is a very good idea. I disagree with you a little bit, but this is such a good insight. I do think it has to do with not just the procedure, but the substance, not just the form, but the actual content. But the point you're making generally, is, and that Austin Powers and Dr. Evil are making, is really, really good. All desires, all of human desire, has as its true end God, ultimately, and the good on the way to God. Good, good thing is leading up to the ultimate highest good, who is God. Our desires become disordered because this is a fallen world. Good desires can, can be perverted and go in the wrong direction. And that's true of, of all of us, and it's true and in, in, it manifests in different ways for different people. The solution to this is not to deny your desire. It, the solution to this is not to ignore it, dismiss it, try to even repress it. That's, that's not the answer. I know that some people Especially some conservatives seem to think that's the answer, but it's not. Dante, actually, that good old Italian poet writing the Divine Comedy, he gives a better answer, which is you've got to, when you want to be good, when you want to get closer to God, when you want to uh, find salvation, when you want to, 
you have to turn not just your actions and not just your behaviors. You have to turn your desire. You have to turn your will toward the good. And your, and your will is, is turned by God's grace. And, and ultimately, it finds itself in the love that moves the sun and the other stars, this idea of, of desire itself. And so, uh, yes. Now, the, the, the slight problem here for Austin Powers and Dr. Evil is that you, 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 can't, just, you can't just substitute lower kind of perverted ideas of desire and say, okay, well, yeah, the free love movement of the 60s, that wasn't great, so let's move it toward... I don't know, some new type of free love movement. No, the, issue, the, the free love movement was just wrong, okay? And it, it will find its fullest expression in, in a, what we would call traditional values. Finding a wife, getting married, channeling your, your natural sexual desires for your wife. You, you see it especially, Dante, even in, in heaven, he's looking at his love, Beatrice. And, but Beatrice is looking at God. And even there, his desires have been so transformed. And there, but there's still this, he's, he's just looking at that immediate object when really he's, he's got to look past the immediate object. Have the immediate object channel his vision toward God. But it's very good. This might be the first time that Austin Powers and Dr. Evil and, and Dante have ever been discussed in the same paragraph. Next question. Hi, Michael. I just wanted to thank you first for helping me rediscover my faith as a Catholic I'm a lifelong Catholic who became a Christmas and Easter kind of a Catholic once I was done with high school. And I'm a 37-year-old now. I'm married with two children. And after only baptizing both kids, we are definitely re-engaged, recommitted, and our lives are much better already from it. So thank you very much for um, helping re relight the Holy Spirit within our family. In that light, I have no problem standing up and defending um, the Catholic Church's stance on abortion. It's been my stance with or without religion. The one that I'm looking for your advice about is how to handle having the conversation with those people in our lives that, that are homosexual. And how, would you, how do you answer the question about the Catholic religion and the Catholic faith dealing with homosexuality? I do believe that marriage is between a man and a, a, man and a woman, but... Um, the reality is there are people that I love, that my wife loves, that our family loves, that have chosen a lifestyle of homosexuality. And if that top, when that topic comes up, how can I confidently express my, my love for them still, but stay true to my faith in my religion? Thank you and keep up the great work. Really, really great question. Something that Christians and Jews and Muslims and people who have any traditional view of sexual ethics struggle with. Because you, you, the way that conservatives, Christians, whatever, are represented in the culture on this issue is that we're hateful phobes. We hate gay people. We want to throw them off of rooftops. And you know, as you're describing right now, you know that is not the case. So how can you discuss this? The, I, the place that I would begin is asking yourself, why is it, why is it the case that every, cult, virtually every culture in the history of the world uh, has looked on homosexuality, which is itself more complicated than just two dudes doing it. So, it there's actually much more complexity to the ideology of homosexuality than just that. 
Why is it that cultures have looked on this as not quite right? As, ah, uh, this seems like there's something wrong with this. Ah, uh, it's a little. You have to begin, I think, with the observation that certainly Christianity makes, but so does Judaism, so does Islam, so do traditional cultures, that homosexuality is disordered, that, that man is made for woman, and woman is made for man, and man and woman is compl- are complementary, and that's the way it goes, and that's how we propagate the species, and that's how the world turns around in many ways. That's not a hateful thing to say. That's just a fact. If you talked to your normal gay friend, I have so many gay friends. I'm from New York. I'm from LA. I went to a very liberal university where I think 97% of the student body is gay and gets gayer every year. So, you know, this is, there's nothing hateful coming from, but even your gay friends, I think would admit this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the normal thing, right? It's by definition, it's abnormal. So if you begin from that place, I think the rest of your views on sexual ethics will be much easier to discuss. You say, okay, if that's disordered, then what would be rightly ordered? Uh, what, what are men and women supposed to do with one another? What obligations do I have? Uh, what does the natural law say about this? What does revealed religion say about this? And how has this worked throughout history? This is not to say that you need to be mean and cruel to your gay friends and family members. Divorce is wrong too. Does, does the, should you get divorced? No. Uh, does this mean that you can never speak to a divorced person? You can never have a divorced person over to dinner? No, it doesn't mean that either. Does it mean that you need to disown your family that gets divorced or that doesn't get married in the church or that doesn't do this? That, no, it doesn't, I don't think it means any of that. But on the flip side, you also don't need to lie about, about your beliefs or about things that have been plainly understood for most of human history until very recently. You don't need to do that either. I don't, I don't think there's anything compassionate about that. I don't think there's anything particularly respectful about that. And you, you're, I think your friends, if they're good, strong, sturdy, normal people, I think they'll get that. And you, you can have a little bit of self-effacement there too. You, if a gay friend of yours says, what, you don't think that this is perfectly the most totally normal, wonderful thing to be celebrated with pride parades going up and down the street all the time? You say, ah, no, I don't think so. And look, there's some things about me that are a little bit off kilter too, all right? So it's not, I'm not saying it's a unique you thing, all right? And nor, nor is it the worst sin that you can commit. I think a sin like fraud or betrayal of your benefactor, I think that would probably be considerably worse. But nor do you have to say this is wonderful and we need to have pride parades for it. You can, you can have, you can, you can speak about these issues with complexity and nuance and calmness too. Usually it's the people when they get really, really angry and red in the face, that is evidence that they don't really know what they're talking about and they're not really confident in their beliefs. All right, next question. Hey, Michael. Um, So I have a question on how to deal with these discussions I have with people on abortion and how to check the just absolute rage I feel in my heart when I speak with them or try to have these discussions I have a person I grew up with at a discussion today. They were, once again, comparing a fetus to a tapeworm or a parasite. And I explained, once again, how this is a completely illogical conclusion. It's stupid. And they go on, you know, with all these arguments and their other friends about how it's not really a baby. And it's okay to do it. It's my choice. And all the talking points about how, oh, people who are, you know, poor and, you know, whatever, having a baby is going to ruin their life. And so I point out that... She has her daughter with no father in the picture, poor, living at home with her mother, all the conditions that are met to justify abortions for others. And they said by, you know, your own logic, your daughter shouldn't exist. And the absolute insanity they go off on 
is just, it's really hard to comprehend because apparently I'm the a-hole for making it personal, but then they don't understand it when you don't make it personal. It's just abstract to them. It's just a clump of cells and then you make it personal and you're the bad guy. Like, how do I deal with this and just the anger I feel when they start spouting off heretical quotes from the Bible and then saying, I'm the person who is against Jesus because I'm judging them for doing things that are obviously evil when they're trying to play God by killing the unborn. Thank you for all you do and look forward to your advice. Thanks. Great question. Totally dovetails off the last question. You mentioned that your friend flies off the handle. I expect that to happen. You should not. One of the keys to being persuasive in a debate, whether it's a debate with someone you're talking to directly and you're just trying to persuade them, or whether it's a public debate and you're not really trying to persuade the other guy, you're trying to persuade the audience. One of the most effective tools that you have is to remain calm. Just remain calm, even if they're screaming at you and yelling at you. When you become really, really angry, you, you lose a lot of your ability to persuade people. I don't think you're wrong to bring up a personal example. I think that can be very powerful, but it's got to be done in a really calm way. So if you say, you, if you had an abortion, your daughter wouldn't even be here. Could you imagine if you, you know, that, that's going to put someone much more on the defensive where you say, well, no, here's actually, darling, here's the, the problem with what you're saying is just by the logic of what you're saying, your daughter wouldn't exist. And we all know that nobody wants that. People want your daughter to exist. So therefore, there's probably something just a little bit gone wrong in your thoughts. And your friend might fly off the handle too, but I think she will be less likely to fly off the handle. People who are calm, who can just explain logically and rationally why they believe what they believe, are very persuasive. All right, let's get to one written question at least. Though I love my voice mailbag questions, be sure to submit them. When you submit them, by the way, try to keep them relatively short. You know, a minute or less is important here. If you, if you go on too long, we can't use them in the show. All right, from Amanda. Michael, there's a lot of talk right now about the gas prices and whether or not it's Biden's fault the prices are rising. Can you lay out the reasons why we're in this situation and why and if the fault is with the current administration? Yes, it is largely Joe Biden's fault. It's not entirely Joe Biden's fault, but it's largely Joe Biden's fault. It's Joe Biden's fault well, one, the most immediate driver of gas prices is the war in Ukraine. The war in Ukraine is largely Joe Biden's fault. Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, said as much. When Joe Biden came into office, there were sanctions on a Russian oil pipeline called Nord Stream 2. The Nord Stream 2 pipeline was one of the keys for, for Vladimir Putin being able to, feeling that he was able to invade Ukraine because he would be able to avoid Ukraine and continue to ship his gas and, and oil to Europe. Uh, Biden comes into office, almost immediately gets rid of those sanctions. He later on puts sanctions back onto Russia, but Zelensky said it was too late. If you guys had just had these sanctions on earlier, Zelensky believes the invasion of Ukraine wouldn't have happened. So that I put at Joe Biden's feet. Uh, we're also not producing oil pipelines. Now, Biden has only shut down one oil pipeline, but to shut down one oil pipeline is to shut down all of the new oil pipelines because there, there are always going to be uh, opposition campaigns from local groups if you build an oil pipeline. So, so if you're going to build it, you need to know the government's got your back. If the government is coming down and shutting down one of them, then you're just not going to get new ones. And then Biden also says no more new oil and gas leases. So even just looking toward the future, a year out, two years out, three years out, a, a lot of these things being priced in right now, the oil and gas industry knows, okay, well, we're not going to be able to build in America under this administration. So that's his fault too. There are always other factors going on, shutting down the world. That was a big factor in gas prices going up. 
this, this return to commerce and business is creating a huge demand where supply had been restricted. That's going to cause prices to go up. It's not just Biden's fault that we shut down the whole world, but Trump in many ways acquiesced to it. But it was the libs who were driving that. It was in our country, it was the Democrats who were really driving that effort. It was Republicans broadly who were trying to pull back a little bit. So is it all Biden's fault? It's not all Biden's fault, but it is broadly the fault of the libs. I'm Michael Knowles. Have a good weekend. We'll see you on Monday. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey everybody, this is Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. You know, some people are depressed because the republic is collapsing, the end of days is approaching, and the moon's turned to blood. But on The Andrew Claven Show, that's where the fun just gets started. So come on over to The Andrew Claven Show and laugh your way through the fall of the republic with me, Andrew Claven. 